Uh, we're going to uh, turn to God's Word um, in a moment. We're looking at four, uh, four chapters of Genesis this morning, four, five, four. Uh, that's a bit much to read um, all, all in one go. So let me, um, let me give us a bit of a reminder about where we're up to in the story of Joseph and a little summary of, of a couple of the chapters before Carrie um, uh, comes to read uh, for us. We've been following uh, these weeks through the summer, through um, the life of Joseph, uh, the, the closing chapters of Genesis. Um, sold into slavery by his brothers, um, carried off uh, to Egypt. Um, he had various ups and downs there, uh, given responsibility, then put in prison unfairly. Uh, last week, uh, we saw how he held on to God's promises even in those darkest of days, and how God has lifted him up um, to uh, the, the position of second, uh, second in charge of the whole nation of Egypt, um, just under uh, Pharaoh himself. An extraordinary turnaround. And all through it, we've seen how God has been in control through the good times and through the hard times of his life. He's been restored to his freedom. He's been given this extraordinary um, privileged position. But there remains uh, the separation from his family, uh, the father uh, who he hasn't seen for many years, the brothers who sold him into slavery in the first place. But the famine... Um, that, that, that the whole world is enduring at that point, uh, brings the family back together as the brothers come to Egypt in search of food to save them uh, there on the edge, uh, as their life is on the edge, and they come before Joseph, not knowing it's Joseph. Um, chapters 42 and 43, which, uh, which we'll not read, um, Jacob sends uh, the ten brothers uh, to Egypt. He keeps Benjamin behind. Benjamin is his new favorite, is Jacob's new favorite. It used to be Joseph, but in Joseph's absence, Benjamin is now Jacob's favorite. The brothers come before uh, Joseph asking for grain. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. It's 12, 13, 14 years since they last saw him. He's now an Egyptian prince. He looks different and initially, it's not clear how Joseph is going to respond to them. In chapter 42, he accuses them of being spies and has Simeon, um, uh, one of the brothers, arrested and put in prison. He sends the others away with the grain that they need to survive, but tells them that they must bring their younger brother, Benjamin, back if Simeon is going to be freed. And the brothers um, recognize that in some way this is punishment for their treatment of Joseph, that God is punishing them for their treatment of Joseph all those years before. And so they go back to, to Jacob, who initially refuses to let Benjamin go. Benjamin, the new favorite, he doesn't want him out of his sight. And yet their situation gets so treacherous, so precarious, that as a last resort, he allows Benjamin to go with his brothers back to Egypt. Joseph uh, receives them again, welcomes them, and eats with them. And he sees Benjamin, uh, his, his brother who he hasn't seen for so many years, and, and weeps. He is overcome with emotion. That's, um, that's sort of a summary of chapter 42 and 43, and Carrie's going to come um, and pick the story up at Genesis chapter 44. Right, so we're reading uh, chapter 44 and a little bit of 45. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. 
As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They'd not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you've done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well, then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead and he is the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us, will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come down on my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. 
because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to prepare for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. This is God's word. Shall we pray as we look at this passage together? Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for this picture of how you treat us as your people. Father, not as we deserve, but with abundant mercy. Father, please would it, would it warm our hearts, would it thrill our hearts this morning? Would we delight uh, to live with you as our king? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me tell you about Alex. Um, Alex has been a, a Christian for a while now. Um, she really does love Jesus. But Alex um, has a, a difficult past. There are things in her past of which she is deeply ashamed. And she still struggles in the present with, with ongoing sin. And so the question that she often asks, ends up asking herself is, do I deserve God's forgiveness? Do I deserve God's forgiveness? The story that we're looking at this morning, Joseph's reunion with his brothers, is a picture of God's extraordinary forgiveness and guaranteed through the sacrificial death of his son, God welcomes us, his people, in at great cost uh, to himself. And of course, God's forgiveness of us is dependent not on us, but on Jesus. Do I deserve God's forgiveness? No. Can I be sure of God's forgiveness? Absolutely. Because of what Jesus has done. What's that got to do with our, our, uh, the story here? Well, we'll work through um, the passage like this and we'll tease out some of these, um, these big implications. We'll see, um, moving through, we'll see that Joseph tests his brothers in chapter 44, that Judah models self-sacrifice and that Joseph embraces his brothers. Joseph tests his brothers, Judah models self-sacrifice and Joseph embraces his brothers. Chapter 44, we get Joseph testing his brothers. Joseph is, is in the position of power here, isn't he? He is the, 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 the second most powerful man in the world. He has the earthly authority to condemn his brothers or to save them. His word is like the word of Pharaoh in Egypt. And he's also in the position of power because he is the only one who, who knows the full story. 
He's the only one who recognizes his brothers. His brothers are still in the dark. They think they're speaking to a prince of Egypt. And so the, the, the point of tension here is how will Joseph use the power that has been given to him? Will he condemn his brothers or save them? And all the way through these chapters, it's, it's kind of hard to work out what Joseph is going to do. He speaks harshly to them when they, when they first arrive in front of him. Is he angry at his brothers? He'd be perfectly within his rights to be angry. Is he going to take revenge on these brothers that sold him into slavery? He seems angry, and yet at the same time, he's providing for them. So he sends them back the first time with the grain that they need. He welcomes them in the second time and, and gives them a meal. He's putting on this, this hard front. And yet a couple of times we've seen that mask slip. As he's overcome with the emotion and has to leave them to go and weep in his room. Now the tension is building. Which way is it going to go? Will he condemn or will he save? And chapter 44 is, is sort of the, the, the climax of that, the final test that Joseph puts in front of his brothers. Joseph has this silver cup implanted in Benjamin's sack. And he sends his, his steward after them to accuse them of, of stealing it. The, the brothers are, are convinced of their own innocence. And so they quickly um, open up uh, their sacks. But then to their horror, um, as the youngest Benjamin's sack is opened and the sun glints off Joseph's silver cup in Benjamin's sack. Here is Benjamin, their, their father's favorite, now at the mercy of, of the full force of Egyptian justice. His life completely in Joseph's hands. And as you read through it, it it's not dissimilar to the situation that these same brothers found themselves in all those years ago. And I think as we see those parallels, that's the key to understanding what Joseph is doing here. He's testing his brothers to see how they're going to respond. How will they treat their brother Benjamin in danger? Will they treat him the same way that they treated Joseph? See, all those years ago with Joseph, they, they had their father's favorite trapped um, down a well with an opportunity to get rid of him forever. And that's what they did, pocketing um, the silver as they went. And now here, they could leave Benjamin to his fate. And already um, here, there are hints that they are not going to make the same mistake again. They're not going to treat Benjamin as they did Joseph. So back then, they had Joseph's cloak taken off him, dipped in blood to make it look like he'd been attacked and by a wild animal. Here, as Benjamin faces peril, they, they tear their own clothes in despair. Back then, they, they had watched as Joseph was carried off into the desert by the slave traders while they headed home. But here, with Benjamin in danger, they load up their donkeys and return with him to Egypt. The brothers, um, they don't know that this is a test. For them, this is very real. 
That brother is in serious danger. Step forward, Judah. On to our second point, that Judah models for us self-sacrifice. From verse 14 of chapter 44, Judah steps forward as the representative of his brothers. Um, Judah, if you know the story, has been far from, from a hero up until this point. It was Judah's idea to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place. Chapter 38, um, we, we see a series of moral failings in Judah's life. Uh, he fails to do the right thing. He fails to care for his daughter-in-law. And he sleeps with her when he gets the opportunity, thinking that she's a prostitute. Judah is far from the hero. And yet here, as he stands before Joseph, and Judah is changed. He does what he's never done before. Verse 16, he acknowledges their guilt. Verse 16, let me read again of chapter 44. What can we say to my Lord, Judah replied? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves, and the one who is found to have the cup. Judah says that the Lord has uncovered their guilt, and yet they are innocent of the current crime that they're being accused of. And so I think it is a hint here that Joseph is acknowledging their past guilt from, from when they sold Joseph into slavery. He knows it was wrong, and he knows that it deserves God's punishment. He acknowledges their guilt. He also um, shows concern for his father. Verse 30, so now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boys, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Verse 34, how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. See, Judah, who up until this point has only ever looked out for his own interests, What's best for me? Well, now he's considering the needs of his father. Judah has seen how broken um, uh, Jacob was at the death of, of Joseph, the loss of his son. And he does not want him to go through that again, even if it means that Judah himself has to pay the price. Um, Judah's father, Jacob, is, is far from perfect. He's still playing favorites like he was all those years before. He's harming his family through the family dynamic that he's creating. And yet, Judah cares for him, shows concern for him. He wants what's best for him. He acknowledges their guilt. He shows, he shows concern for his father. And most crucially, thirdly and most crucially, he, he loves self-sacrificially. See, Joseph gives them a way out here. He's not asking all of them um, to, to become his slaves. He's not imprisoning them all. Just Benjamin. Judah and his brothers at this point, they could easily return to their father and explain what had happened. Benjamin was an idiot. He stole, uh, he stole the prince's cup and tried to, to smuggle it away and now he's paying the consequences. And yet that's, that's not what he does here. They've done that before. They've blamed the brother and gone back without him. But now Judah answers, verse 33, 
Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. Judah, whose idea it was to sell Joseph into slavery, now offers his freedom in place of his brother. It is here a very out of character and an extraordinary act of courage and of self-sacrifice. One of the, the truly sad things about watching um, uh, what's going on in Afghanistan um, at the minute is just thinking of the many, many lives that have been sacrificed for freedom, democracy in that country. Of course, members of the armed services from here, other allied forces, but also the people of Afghanistan who have worked so hard and have given so much for freedom. Because we, we get deep down, don't we, that self-sacrifice is, an, is a, a noble thing, a good thing even when it is enormously costly. That's why it's so, so sad to see what's happening there, all going backwards. To offer your life or a great part of yourself for another is a, a great act of love. And Judah here, as we, as we see his offering of himself, is of course a picture of Jesus. In, in the story of the Old Testament people of God, Judah becomes um, the line of the kings of Israel. And that starts really here with his self-sacrifice and the, the true mark of, of leadership, giving of himself. It is what a king does because it is ultimately what Jesus does. Judah offers his freedom in place of his innocent brother, Benjamin. Jesus, of course, lays down his life, not for the innocent, but for the guilty. Not for his brother, but for his enemies. Um, Romans 5, uh, these extraordinary words from Romans 5, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See how, how Jesus' sacrifice is, is even greater than the sacrifice that Judah makes here. Jesus didn't need to convince himself or to be convinced that this was the right thing to do. Jesus didn't need to be changed in some way to be able to do it. He didn't need to learn from past mistakes in order to be willing to offer his life. You know, Jesus came willingly. That was, that was his plan. He willingly laid down his life for the sake of his enemies, taking on their guilt, standing in their place in order to bring glory uh, to his father. And so as we see in, in Judah, this little picture of Jesus, we're reminded that it is a wonderful thing to live under this sort of king. To be loved so much that someone is willing to do this for you, to give their life for you. I guess in, in that moment, as Judah offers his, his own freedom, Benjamin 
knows, understands, maybe for the first time, what real love is. He'd experienced the, the love of his father who had given him everything that he wanted, who had spoiled him probably for it. And yet here he sees what it means to be truly loved. How much more then for us as we read those words in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in those moments, on those days, when you wonder, does God really love me? Do I deserve his forgiveness? No. Has he forgiven me? Yes. In Jesus, he has shown how much he loves you. Judah models for us what self-sacrifice is. And finally, thirdly and finally, Joseph embraces his brothers, chapter 45. Judah's offering of himself, his self-sacrifice, it undoes Joseph. And like, like water and pressing in on a dam that suddenly just bursts. And the emotion just floods out of Joseph. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all the attendants. And he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and Pharaoh's household heard about it. He is so over come by Judah's offering of himself. Just imagine what the, bro- the, the 10 brothers must have been thinking at this point. What is going on? What is happening? Are we about to be condemned? Until, of course, Joseph speaks. He speaks to them now, not, not through an interpreter, but directly. Not in the language of Egypt, but in their language. As he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? And the, the brothers are just left stunned. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. We're told they are terrified as they realize they are standing in the presence of their brother. The man who holds their lives and freedom in his hands is the one whose life they ruined and whose freedom they took all those years before. What will he do? Verse four of chapter 45, he tells them to come close. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It's an extraordinary response, isn't it? Joseph sees perhaps for the first time a little glimpse into what God was doing through all those ups and downs of his life up to this point. All the betrayal and the injustice in order to save his own family. And so instead of crushing them, as was, in, was within his power to do, Joseph trusts in God's sovereign good promises. And it enables him to forgive his brothers, and to provide for them. To provide for them not not just what they need, 
but to, to provide, to restore relationship again. He invites them to live, to come and move and live near him in Egypt. And you get a little taste of just how delighted Joseph is to be reconciled to his brothers. Verse 14. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. See how it is Joseph more than anyone in the story who rejoices over their reconciliation. And if, if Judah um, in chapter 44 is, is a picture of Jesus for us, then Joseph here shows us what God the Father is like. The one who is in control of everything, our whole lives in his hands, within his power to, to condemn or to bless. In, in Joseph, we see how God the Father treats his people, even though we sin against him. He welcomes us back in, not, not begrudgingly, but rejoicing. He sends his son to die in our place so that he can embrace us as his children. The forgiveness that, that we are offered in Jesus, it doesn't come cheap. It costs God the Father everything. But because it cost him everything, we can be sure that he has forgiven us when we trust in Jesus. We can be sure of it. And so whether um, you're here this morning and you are trusting in Jesus or um, you're just looking into Christian things, I guess for many of us, there will be burdens that we carry, burdens of guilt from our past, burdens of present sin. In this picture that God gives us of forgiveness and reconciliation, we see how God welcomes his children. There is no burden of guilt. There is no earning of forgiveness. Jesus has won it for us. And God the Father welcomes us in. So as we read it, we are, we are left praising God for his extraordinary forgiveness of us for his welcome made possible through the death of his son. And you see how that gives us an enormous assurance of God's forgiveness, an even greater assurance than Joseph's brothers had. See, with Joseph, um, we haven't been sure how he's going to respond up to now. Even after this, um, his brothers in the back of their minds are still wondering Will it, will it all turn around? Once our father's gone, will it all, you know, will, will it all go pear-shaped for us? Will he change his mind? But see, when, when God chooses to forgive his people, he will not change his mind. And so if you're trusting in Christ, God's anger at your sin has been dealt with once and for all. God has welcomed you in. So as we close, we, began, we started with Alex, didn't we? Unsure if she'd done enough to deserve God's forgiveness. Do you see how precarious a question that is, a position that is, to think that it depends on us? How could you ever be sure? How could you ever do enough? And yet this story shows us it is all 
God's work. God the Father sending his son who willingly comes to die for us, to offer his life in order that we might be forgiven and welcomed in as his children. What extraordinary grace, what extraordinary confidence that gives us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we praise you so much for this wonderful picture of what you have done for us in sending the Lord Jesus. Father, just the, the rawness of it and the overwhelming emotion of it just it just shows the scale and the grandeur of what you have done. Father, how we praise you for Jesus' death in, in our place, for forgiveness, full and free, won for us by him. Father, please would we rejoice in it, would we praise you for it, and would we delight to live under a king like that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.